and welcome to the Love Key Church message of the week. Love Key Church is a local expression of a part of the body of Christ with a focus on creating a place, opportunity, and atmosphere through worship music and the Word where people can encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and then help others to do the same. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, Valetta, and our four children, we recently launched Love Key Church right here in Somerset West. Enjoy the message. Please remember to like, follow, and subscribe, and to share this with other people if you find that it is uplifting, encouraging, and inspiring to you. Thank you so much. God bless you as you listen to this word. I want to share a a verse with you from 2 Corinthians 9. It says, uh, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. I know most of you know this part, maybe with some other translation, but listen to this next part. They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed to the farmer and the bread and then bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. That is a promise that God will bless our resources as we give generously so that we can give more and be generous even more. It says after that, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. So what is the point of giving generously? It's to receive plentiful from God so that we can be more generous. And then it says, when we take our gift to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Listen to this. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. This is a powerful piece of scripture, and there's so much in there. This is Paul speaking to a church. He's on his way to one church, and he's saying, I'm sending brothers to bring the offering that you promised to give, but they've been hesitant to give, and Paul is sending them a message, and the the bit before this sounds a little bit manipulative almost, and they and, and he's, he's kind of telling them, listen, you promised this. I want you to give, but I want you to give with a good heart with, as, and be a cheerful giver. But then he, he lists all these amazing promises of what happens. And what your gift today 
to this ministry will mean is that we can reach more people with the gospel message. We can positively impact in marriages and families. We can play a role in eradicating fatherlessness. We can shine a light on the crisis of cultural Christianity. We can sow into what we hope will be the future social justice projects in our local community. And lastly, we sow into trusted organizations preaching the gospel in Israel to Jewish people and helping to Jews to relocate to Israel. We support the Firm Foundation and One for Israel, powerful organizations that are doing great work for the gospel in Israel. So when you sow into this ministry, it is for this benefit. And as you give, God will bless you so that your resources will increase so that you can be even more generous. I want, you to, I want to ask you this morning to take a moment as we are still worshiping God, as we are still in this place of, of putting our eyes on Him, putting all of our affection, all of our devotion on Him. I want you to say, to yourself, ask yourself, ask God, what is He saying to you? What is He laying on your heart to give? What is He laying on your spirit to, to, to generously give so that His kingdom can grow? We have many different options on how you can partner with this church. Um, there are different ways. You can go to our website and see all of those at lovekeymission.com partner. There are also some in details on the screen right now. It's not about how much you give. It's the heart with which you give it. You know the story about the widow who gave one little piece of money and God said, Jesus said she gave more because she gave out of, out of, her, of what she had. She gave everything. And she gave it with a heart that was cheerful towards God. And I want to give you a moment this morning to do that. As my wife keeps on playing some beautiful music for a few seconds. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's pray over the offering that you're giving, the gift you're giving, or the tithe that you're giving. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every heart that has been touched by you in this morning that has been led to give, whether it be a tithe or an offering or just them generously giving, sowing into this ministry. We, we thank you for that, Lord. We praise you for that. We honor you for that. Because what we are able to bring is what you have given us, and it belongs to you anyway, Lord. So I thank you for every heart that is generous this morning. I pray, Lord, like the promise that Paul gives this church that that you will give them this promise as well and that they will see it in their lives as they generously sow, that they will receive more resources, more sources of income so that they can be more generous and that we can see a shift in the body of Christ. We can see a shift in this world where more people come to know Christ, where more marriages are healed, more families are made whole and more people are reached for the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. And we thank you that you bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. Thank you. Let's give, our, let's give my wife a big round of applause wherever you are. <laughs> You're so talented, my Leafy. Okay. So, if you are joining us for the first time, I want you to know that we have been in a series called Encountering God. And the reason for that 
is that we have the value of encountering God as our first value, and we also have the next value is align with His purposes, and the third is to reign in life. And we believe that this is what God wants for every person, because if you don't know Jesus and you encounter Him, your life will change. If you really have an encounter, when His love really hits you, you can't but change your life and choose to follow Him. And then when you choose to love Him back and do things His way, that is when your life truly changes and becomes in a place where you can reign in life. So we are in a series of encountering God, and we've been speaking um, about these topics. We had the story of Paul, a message called Kicking Against the Goads. Go listen to that. Um, It's on the podcast. All of these are. The next one we spoke about, Jacob wrestling with God. That encounter that he had that marked him for life. We spoke about Mary who and, and how we need to not face the facts, the realities of life, but we need to faith the facts of life. And when God has said something, but our circumstances look different, we need to faith those facts, not face them and just accept them. The power of adoption was our next message. Uh, the week before Christmas, we spoke about the, the power of adoption and, and how Joseph, as an earthly man, had no throne, no kingdom, but he was from the line of David. How he adopted Jesus and how that completed the prophecy as an earthly father adopting the king of kings. How amazing is that? At Christmas, we spoke about see the great light. How, Jesus, how the message of Jesus has been told over millennia to the people of God. New Year's Eve, I spoke about the message of come from Isaiah 55. And last week, we spoke about get ready. The, 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 the moment where Jacob was called back by God to Bethel, where he met him the first time. And that was a message for us to prepare to get ready through prayer and fasting to receive from the Lord. And it clearly stated that we cannot receive and we cannot enter the presence of God if we have things that are distracting us, holding us back. The, the, the specific instruction that Jacob gave his people in that, in that passage is to get rid of the foreign gods among them, to purify themselves and to, to put on new garments. Our message today is similar to that. We are going to build on this idea. And I want to I want to know so badly how many of you had encounters this week with God as you pray, as you had fasting time, a prayer, of, a time of prayer and fasting. How much, how much did God meet with you? What did He uh, show you? How, how did you did you identify certain things in your life that you realized, man, I need to get this out of my life so that I can actually tune in better to God. We would love to hear those testimonies. You can even send them in the comments right now and just say, God showed up in such a big way because I dedicated this time to Him, because I chose to put certain things aside and focus on Him. We would love to hear those testimonies. This week, we're speaking about a message called Positioned to Receive. So last week, we got ready. This week, we prepared our hearts and our minds through the the, the time of prayer and fasting. And this week, We are positioning ourselves to receive. And the passage I want to share with you is from 1 Samuel. And we're going to look at the, um, we're going to see a contrasting story between Samuel and the sons of Eli. And we're going to see the contrasting experiences that these guys had uh, in terms of spiritual leadership and how God 
did or did not show up for the people of God. All right, first we're going to look at a battle against the Philistines while Eli and his two sons were the priests. All right, so this is the first moment. I'm going to go through a lot of scripture. These are highlights from the story. I want to encourage you to actually go read the whole thing because it's really quite dramatic. There's a lot happening here. But I, I want to lift out a few passages and show you what happened to Israel in battle against the enemy, against the Philistines, with Eli and his sons in spiritual leadership. So in 1 Samuel 4, 3, we read, And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Okay, so in the verse just before this, we see that the Philistines completely defeated the Israelites, and about 4,000, the one translation says about 4,000 men were killed. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. Shiloh is where the, the temple was that Eli and his sons oversaw where the Ark of the Covenant was. It says that when it comes among us, it, you have to notice that it says, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So they put their faith in the physical Ark of the Covenant. That's already a clue that I want you to note. The next passage is Samuel, 1 Samuel 4, from verse 4 to 5. It says, So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, here they enter, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark. They were there with the ark. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israelites shouted so loudly that the earth shook. All right, so at first there's a moment of, Woohoo! the Ark of the Covenant's here. Come on, let's have a party. We're so great. Now we're definitely going to win. So they think just because the Ark is there and the priests are there, they're going to have, they're going to win this battle. But then we see a dramatic turn of events in 1 Samuel 4 from verse 10 to 11. It says, so the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. Now just before this, we read that the Philistines saw, they heard the shouts, they saw the ark coming in, and they first had this moment of, oh, shucks, man, the ark is there. We can't, we, we can't beat these people when the ark is there. But then you see them regrouping and go, you know what, we're just going to fight harder. We're going to try harder. So they, they use willpower and self-discipline and go for it. And then we see this verse where it says, so the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. You can see every, it's like this picture of a dog with his tail tucked between his legs, just running, scampering to his little hideout. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured. So we lost 30,000 men. The ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Okay, so not a pretty picture. Just after this, Eli dies when he hears about his son's death and the capture of the ark. So the two sons die, Eli die. Just after that, Phineas' boy is born. His wife was pregnant at the time. She gives birth to a son and calls him Ichabod because it means the glory of God has left us. That is how they felt, that the glory of God has left them. And it's almost like they realize it for the first time. But you'll see as we go through this, that it wasn't supposed to be news to them. All right, now let's look at what happened under Samuel's spiritual leadership. We skip ahead to 1 Samuel 7 verse 3. Look at this. Samuel, a man of God, speaking with authority to the people of God. Once again, they're about to face a battle with the Philistines. All right, So it's almost like deja vu. 
They're about to face the Philistines, but they have a different spiritual leader at the helm. And he says to them, Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Can you see some of the, if you, if you were here last week or you have watched the message from last week, you will see some similarities in the language here. Put away the foreign gods and the asterisks. The asterisks are images of female gods from among you and prepare your hearts. Get ready, right? Serve him only. It's, it's a thing of purifying, getting rid of the stuff that's not of God and focusing on God and God alone. Then the next passage we read, 1 Samuel 7, verse 5 to 6. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So now he's taking the authority that he has to intercede for the people of God. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day. What did we do this week? We fasted. And they said there, they admitted, we have sinned against the Lord. You remember last week I told you that one of the biggest ways we figure out what is wrong in our lives is we need to recognize there is something that we are serving that's not God. We need to recognize the gods in our lives. And then we need to admit that it's not right. We need to admit and repent of our sin. And then we need to get rid of it. Otherwise, it's just hanging there like a cancerous growth that's infecting our lives. So they get to that moment through fasting. Did you notice that? They fasted. They came to the Lord. They said, we have sinned. They, were, they had a conviction in their hearts. I know this message might be hard for some people today when I get to the crux of it, but I want to prepare your hearts now already. I don't want you to feel condemned. There's a difference between condemnation. That's a feeling of guilt and shame that actually draws you away from God. I want you to feel convicted by the truth of the Holy Spirit that will bring you to repentance in those areas that God show you so that you can draw closer to God. I hope you can hear the difference. Today is about hearing from God, being convicted and growing closer to Him. Why? Because we're always growing. We're always busy with the process of sanctification. It's never quite done. So once you think you've arrived, be careful. You need to always stay humble before the Lord. Stay teachable before the Lord. All right. <laughs> On that note, I actually want to share something with you that gave me a bit of a laugh this morning. I opened up my Bible to do some quiet time this morning, and, and I, I, I was reading Proverbs 12. And um, <laughs> in the first verse of Proverbs 12, I want to actually get the, the whole thing here because it's I thought this is really cool because it's not me saying it, it's the Bible saying it. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. That is the Bible. So we, if we are not open to being teachable, being corrected by the Word of God, not me, Heinz, not anyone here, but by the Word of God, by the leading of the Spirit, if we're not open to being corrected, we are foolish, dare I say, stupid. All right, next verse. 1 Samuel 7 verse 10. 
Now, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, so now he's here, he's doing his priestly duty. He's interceding for the people of God. The Philistines, the enemy, drew near, all right? So here's he, he's worshiping. The people have repented before God. They are actually in a place of ministering. They are in a place of ministering. This is really important to notice, guys, because we need to realize that sometimes we are going to be in a place of ministering before God, being with Him, but the enemy is still coming. So the enemy is breathing down their necks, all right? The Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. Listen to this beautiful next sentence. But the Lord, but God, thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. Isn't that awesome? But we cannot miss the build-up. We cannot miss the if that comes before the but the Lord part. You cannot miss this. Samuel said, if you do the following. And then he said, I will pray and intercede. And then when he did that and the enemy came, God said, God showed up and said, but the Lord thundered against with a loud thunder upon the Philistines. Come on, people, that's powerful. And in 1 Samuel, the next one says, So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. One day, one time, man of God shows up, does things the right way, the people are obedient, and the problem is solved for a whole season. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. That is powerful. One man of God who does not compromise, who leads the people well in the truth of God, changes a whole generation. And it says, Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored. So not only were they subdued, they left Israel alone. Israel got to claim back what was stolen. This is powerful. This is really powerful. Some of you may be in a position where you feel, shucks, stuff has been stolen from me, taken from me. I have no idea how to restore everything that I've lost. I want you to know that I believe God is speaking to us very clearly about the things that, that we need to get ready, that we need to position ourselves to receive, and then we need to walk in absolute obedience. So you can see there's, there's a much different picture under the rule of Eli and his sons than under Samuel. Sorry, I'm just talking to my son who's doing the slides. Um, so you can see there's a much different picture under the rule of Eli and his sons compared to the rule of Samuel. Would you agree? If you can see that and you agree... I want you to throw us a thumbs up and a well done and a yes, it's true, and an amen in the comments. I'm, I'm keeping my eye on this, so that'll be great if you can do that for us. As I said, our, our message today is called Positioned to Receive. I believe that God wants to show us through these scriptures and the contrasting stories of Hophni and Phinehas and Samuel, on the other hand, what is happening or what we need to learn today. I want to encourage you to go and read this whole account because it's, as I said earlier, it's a really powerful story 
And if you start reading it with this understanding that we're talking about today, I believe God will reveal even more to you. I'm, I'm now going to paint a picture, give us some context, and then we're going to um, and then get into why the battles with the enemy were so different under different spiritual leadership that were positioned differently. In order to do that, we actually need to go back to the end of the book of Joshua and to the beginning of the book of Judges and the end of the book of Judges. I'm not going to throw any more scriptures at you. I'm just going to tell you what it says, and you can go check it for yourselves. But at the end of Joshua, we have old man Joshua, Opa Joshua, speaking to the people of God. This is the moment where the famous phrase comes from, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's, ver- that's 24 verse 14b. All right, So it's a, actually a small segment from that whole part. When you go and read that, the chapter before that and that chapter, you will see what was actually happening. Joshua was, was an old man looking at the people of God, and he was kind of fed up with them. He was a little irritated. And like many older people, he has lost most of his filters. So he is saying exactly what he thinks and what they should hear. And he's being very straightforward with them. And he says to them, all right, you guys can go back to the gods on the other side of the Euphrates, Euphrates and serve them. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then when you keep on reading, they say, no, 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 no. We want to serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. And then Joshua does something that I really love. I wish I could be there because it was like almost the moment where you see someone say something and drop the mic and everyone go, oh, that's that kind of moment. Because Joshua says to them, no, you can't. They say, we want to serve the Lord. But he says, no, you can't. Imagine that. I can almost see Joshua dropping a mic or maybe his walking stick. And then imagine there's this deathly silence on the people of God. And they say again, no, no, no really, we, we, we want to serve him. And then he says to them, you cannot serve him because he's a jealous God. He will not share your devotion. And you are wrapped up in all kinds of other gods and things that you give your hearts to, your attention to, your minds to, your energy to. And then they said again, no, 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 really, we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua built an altar and he said, these stones and God above is a witness against you that you promised today that you will do things his way. And then when you keep on reading the end of Joshua and the first two chapters of Judges, you see that that only lasted while Joshua And the elders that survived him were alive. So the whole heart of worship, the whole focus on God was lost when that person who took a stand died. And those who he discipled. Which means they didn't, we can maybe assume that they didn't disciple the next generation well. Or no one was willing to pick up the baton from them. But the sad truth is that we read that the generation after that, it says they did not know the Lord. And then God sent judges. This is where the judges came in. But it says in the second chapter, it says this pattern just kept on repeating. And it's almost the pattern of the whole Old Testament. We love God. We worship youth. We put everything away. Yes, yes, yes. And then after a while, they start compromising again. They allow some foreign gods and, and, and they slip away and God's anger is kindled towards them. And then he does something that causes them to go, oh, God, help us. And then his heart is moved because he loves his people. And then he sends another judge and another judge. And it keeps on e- keeping on. And by the end of Judges, we read something very sad. There's a scripture that says, 
Judges 21 verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound familiar to you? I think that's where we are in the world today, but even to a greater extent, that everyone just do, does what they feel is right. But there is a right way. There is not your truth and her truth and his truth and all these other truths. There's one truth, and that is God, God's Word. When we open 1 Samuel, now we've been through Joshua, we've been through Judges quickly. We've got a, a, the story of Ruth in between that happens at the, around the same time. And then we open 1 Samuel, and we, this, we see the story of Hannah, a woman who is barren, a woman who cannot conceive. And she is married to a man who loves her very much. And he has another wife who, who jokes with Hannah because she can't get pregnant. And every year they go up to Shiloh to, to, to the temple to pray to God and offer up an offering. And her, her husband even gives her a double offering because he really wants to see her get pregnant. But she doesn't. Her womb is closed. And then, but Hannah keeps on praying. And, and the one day she's at Shiloh and she's praying and praying. And from a distance, Eli sees her praying. And he thinks that she's drunk because he only sees her lips move. But she's praying passionately. And he comes to her and he says, listen, woman, why are you drunk at the temple? And she says, I'm, I'm not drunk. I'm just crying out to God. And then he listened to her story and he says, God will grant your petition. And she, soon after that, she is pregnant with Samuel. And, and she calls him Samuel because Samuel means God heard. God heard my prayer. And it also means I can hear God or one who hears God. And it's a, it's a really powerful beautiful name, and you'll see how significant this is in the story of the life of, of Samuel. So Samuel is in Shiloh at the temple. Now is this, oh, sorry, I needed to say this. She prayed and she made a promise that if God opens up her womb and she has a child, that she will dedicate that child to the Lord. And that he will, and, and in the way that he will be, she will give him to the, the priest at the temple, and he will live there and, and minister unto God. So that was a promise of a praying mother. And that is where Samuel comes from. God heard. And then she, after he was weaned, she took him to the temple, and he became one of the young men in the temple. Now Eli was the high priest and currently the judge of Israel. And he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And they were raised by Eli, obviously, because his biological sons, and they're there. But Samuel, if effectively, was also being raised by Eli. But Hophni and Phinehas turned out to be terrible sons, and according to the Bible, vile priests before the Lord. It says in 1 Samuel 2.17, Therefore the sin of these young men were very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Because what they did is they, they, they stole people's offering. They... they and they made it so that people didn't want to give offerings to God anymore. The Bible specifically also states that they did not know the Lord. Now, this is important. I want you to focus on this. It says they did not know the Lord. It says in uh, 1 Samuel 2.12, it says they were corrupt and they did not know the Lord. 
In Samuel 2, verse 25, it says, If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. How hectic is that? They got to the place where they were not sinning against people. They were sinning against God. And it says no one could intercede for them. And at this point, their dad is trying to intercede. They're already doing horrible things. And the dad is now coming and saying, Hey, hey, you can't do this, guys. And they just ignore him. And you can see here that God actually has hardened their hearts. We read this in, in the story of Egypt as well, where it says God hardened the heart of Pharaoh because he wanted to see his purposes fulfilled. Now here, they have lost the grace that God had for them. You can see that because it says the Lord desired to kill them. But the Bible here also states that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. So I was confused at first. I read, you read, Hophni and Phinehas did not know the Lord. And then it also says um, Samuel did not know the Lord. When it speaks about that moment where he hears from the Lord, it says before that he didn't know the Lord. Now, as I kept reading and reading and reading, I realized that with Samuel, it says he did not yet know the Lord. But with Hophni and Phinehas, it just says they did not know the Lord. And I realized that this yet is very important. So look at this, 1 Samuel 2, 18, it says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. So from the moment he had enough brains, he wanted to be with God. He min- this one says, he ministered before the Lord. And so 1 Samuel 2, 26 says, And the child grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and men. How many of you guys want that to be the slogan of your life, growing in stature and in favor with men and with God. How powerful is that? He was just a child. In the verses in between, the ones I just read to you, it describes, contrastingly, Hophni and Phinehas and how badly they behaved. The next verse I want to read to you is bits and pieces from 1 Samuel 3. All right, I'm not going to read all of it. So this, these are uh, certain verses I, I took out to highlight. Once again, we hear this. Now the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli. The previous one in, in, in 1 Samuel 2 said he ministered before the Lord. Now it says he ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. How amazing is it that someone like Hannah was so faithful and so prayerful before God, even in a time when the word of God was rare. It says there was no widespread revelation. And then in, in brackets, it says this, this part that I just mentioned. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. So he did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. We get yet twice. So God had an appointment, an appointed time to know him, and to reveal the word to him. Why? Because he was ministering before the Lord. And it says, Now the Lord came and stood and called at, at once. This is the third time he's calling. And Sam, he says, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his word fall to the ground. That verse is after he has given the word to Eli that God gave him. So he had a harsh word. His very first word was a harsh word that he had to give Eli about the fact that the words of a previous prophet that said that Eli, 
sons will die and that his household will no longer be blessed. That word he's confirming to Eli. Imagine that being the first prophetic word you have to deliver. Hectic. But he does it. He is faithful. And then just after that, we read these words. So, in other words, it continues. The thought continues. Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. So God guided even the very words coming from his mouth. None of it was futile. None of it was in vain. None of it meant nothing. It reminds me of Isaiah 55. It says, the Lord's word will not return to him in vain. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as the prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. This is important, guys. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. What does that mean? God was not in Shiloh before Samuel. How many of you went to school or university or college, some place where you were taught in a classroom? Typically, you sit in a classroom with a whole bunch of other people, right? And there's a teacher in front, and he's teaching a subject, or she's teaching a subject, and all the people in the class are hearing the same teacher giving the exact same information. How many of you know from your experience that even though the same teacher taught the same stuff, and it, it could be a great teacher, really good at their job, they are teaching, they are there on time, they are prepared, they are giving the best they can. How many of you know that not everyone in that class is going to get the same grade? Right? Raise your hands. Give me some emoji raising your hands. I want to see some hands being raised there. What are the reasons for this? Well, one of the obvious ones is some people just don't rock up. In South Africa, we say, you bunk class. <laughs> you don't go. You're physically not there. All right? So you're not positioned in the class to receive from the teacher. Secondly, and this is what I saw a lot at university especially, is people that are physically there, <laughs> but they're definitely not mentally there because they're sleeping off something from the last night. Or they are physically there, but they are completely tuned out, daydreaming, they are so bored, they don't want to be there. So they are not receiving, they're not positioned to receive. And then, of course, you have people that are completely just rebellious. They are there. They could even be listening. They could even be really clever. And, but just because they are rebellious, they on purposely sabotage their own school career just to stick it to daddy or whatever the case might be. And then, of course, some people just have different abilities. Okay? That's set aside. But I, I hope you're getting the point. You can be in the same class or the same space with good downloads are being given, but if you're not positioned correctly to receive it and receive it in its entirety, you will miss out and your grades will show it. Some of you have been ready to receive. You've been positioned, you are keen, but you've been in a classroom with a teacher that is not good at his job, couldn't care less, or is not prepared himself. So what you are receiving is not what it should be. So there's this bad taste in your mouth. Now, when we see this 
We see this in the Eli household. We have two biological sons being fathered and trained in the role of priesthood and being a judge in Israel. And in the same house, we have one, let's call him an adopted son, because that's basically what happened. He's been adopted by Eli in the temple. They are receiving the same teaching in the same environment, but two completely different results. How many parents out there have more than one child in their home and the children are completely different in personality, in character, in the way they handle discipline, right? Okay, can I get some parents giving me a thumbs up? (laughs) It happens, right? And sometimes that is also applies to the way they are either rebellious or not rebellious. Some children are like, they follow everything you say, they do what you want when you say it, and then others are just like, Completely free-spirited is the, is the euphemism we use <laughs> for people who are just doing what they want. We are, but we have to ask the question, why? Why does it look this way in the same house? Could it be that Samuel's praying mother and his parents' yearly visits gave Samuel an edge? Maybe he was loved and cared for so well, even though it was once a year, that that was enough to keep him on the right path? Could it be that his parents achieved more with one day in a year than Eli could 24-7? Could it be that those verses that refer to him ministering before the Lord and to the Lord before Eli are significant? Did he minister before the Lord alone out of his own volition and desire to connect with him, to know him? But he also ministered when Eli was there. I think it does. I think the Bible is trying to tell us that he had such a desire to know God that he would go on his own, even when Eli was not there. We clearly see that Eli is not stepping into his role as a father and a high priest. He seems to be out of touch with God. He could be the main reason that the Lord was not heard much in those days. And as we saw in that last verse I read to you, God wasn't there. He wasn't heard much, and he wasn't present in Shiloh until Samuel came along. But Eli was the high priest, so surely he should know God and he should usher in the presence of God, but it seems that he didn't. This is how I think we can know this. He he fails, he's not tuned into the Spirit. He fails to see that a praying mother is praying. He thinks she's drunk. A perceptive, in-tune priest should have been able to know the difference. It took him twice with Samuel running to him saying, I'm, yes, you called? And he's like, no, I didn't. Go back to sleep. He had, did that to happen twice before he realized, oh, the Lord must be trying to speak to him. For a normal person, that's understandable. But for the high priest of God, it shouldn't be that difficult. He fails as a father, and after being warned by an unknown prophet and hearing a confirmation word from Samuel, he seems to give up and surrender to it. He doesn't fight. He doesn't go to God and plead with him. We read nothing of that. We just read an Eli that hears the prophetic word. He kind of tries to rebuke his sons, and then he hears from Samuel, and he just kind of gives over to it. There's no more fight in him. There's no drive in him. There's no willingness to change the situation. 
So we see even a lack of relationship with God in this. Now, when we go back to those verses I read in the beginning, you know, where the, we had the different battles, I want you to remember that quickly. When Israel is now in the battle with the Philistines, they are calling for the ark to come to the battle. Now, imagine this scene. We're about to fight the Israelites, ach, the Philistines. They come to Shiloh. Who's there? Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, and Samuel, a young boy. They say, we need the ark because that'll change everything. What must have happened? Eli must have allowed the ark to go with his two evil sons because that's what rocked up at the battlefield. It says in the scripture, the ark with Hophni and Phinehas are at the battlefield. So Eli allowed this to happen. They wanted, they wanted to receive it, yes. They wanted to receive it to help them. But were they positioned to receive what it really meant? No. Apparently, they thought they did. But when we read later here that the two vile priests brought it and they referred to the ark as it, and that it will save them, and we see later Samuel tells them to get rid of the gods among them, it's clear that they had both the bad leader and the bad student from my illustration earlier. They had a teacher who didn't teach well, and we have students, the people of God, who didn't receive and just wanted to do their own thing. The spiritual leaders weren't positioned to receive from God so that they could accurately lead the people and rebuke them when they allowed foreign gods among them. And the people were not positioned to receive from the priest of God because their devotion was divided. They worshipped, their worship was warped and their hearts were hardened. God is asking all of us today, is our devotion divided? Is our worship warped? Is our heart, are our hearts hardened? Remember what I said, not to condemn but to convict so we see the vile priests and the disobedient soldiers meet on the battleground against the enemy. Imagine this scene. There's a people who don't know what they believe in. They're all over the place. They just know there's an enemy coming to attack them, and they need help. So now they've brought the ark, which they think is God, and the priests who are completely disconnected from God, they don't know him. They are there. It's kind of humorous. It's laughable. They are putting their hope in the ark while they rub their foreign God trinkets between their thumb and forefinger. No prayer to God is mentioned. No worship or praise is mentioned. They think the presence of God alone will solve everything. But they are mistaken. Why? Because even though God is omnipresent and His ark is there, he will only manifest His presence and move among His people when a loving relationship is in place. Remember what we said about why we call our church Love Key, because love is the key. The key to our salvation is, is realizing, is getting that revelation of how much God loves us, that He sent His only begotten Son so that we may not perish but have life everlasting. These guys were perishing on the battleground. I know it's the Old Testament, 
But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And His principle stands. You cannot devote yourself to Him and to another. If you have other gods in your life, you cannot love God. It's like a married man saying he loves his wife and his mistress. And we hear that a lot. We, we get the example from all kinds of TV shows and movies and just the way the world thinks, the secular humanist nonsense that's getting shoved down our throats every day. We think this is normal. I love her and I love her. Stop it, man. You brought nonsense. It's impossible. You think you love, but you don't. You lust. It's not love. It's infatuation. When you are unfaithful, you are selfish. And there is no love in you. Wake up. And this is what Israel's wake-up call was, a huge one. They were the unfaithful husband. If you think of Christ being the bridegroom and us being the bride, they were being an unfaithful bride to the bridegroom and thinking, it's just going to be okay. No. After this, there is this moment of silence almost. The glory of God has left the people of God. How ironic. The glory of God has left the people of God. How tragic. Luckily, <laughs> there's a but. Luckily, God brings a man, raises up a man from the power of prayer of a praying mom. Despite Eli's shortcomings, Samuel turns into a mighty man of God, a prophet, the last judge of Israel. He anoints Saul, and he anoints the greatest king of Israel and the forefather of Jesus, King David. In his time, it says that Israel was in, a, in good standing with God all of his life. Later on, we do see, this is a bit of a side note, we do see later on that Samuel had, this, had a similar issue to his own sons. When the time came that he was too old to lead and someone had to take over, one of the reasons the people called for a king was they said, your sons are not walking in your ways. We need a king. And it seems that he, and we, we can assume from this that because he didn't have the greatest example in Eli that maybe he struggled as a father himself but there is some good news we do not see that the same penalty was given to Samuel so it would seem that his sons did, did veered off the path by their own volition because Samuel was a bad father or not connected to God and we do read in the book of Kings that a grandson of Samuel was serving in the courts of the Lord so we can assume that things shifted there. Anyway, that's a bit of a side note. So today there's a few things I want to lift out and I want to bring home to you. Firstly, and I hope this is blatantly obvious by now, fathers, your role in your child's life is paramount. You cannot miss this. Mothers, your prayers are powerful and can bring life and change the course of your child's life. Do not cease praying. Children, kids, and everyone, this is for all of us, but I want specifically to talk to the children. Positioning yourself to receive from God 
is the best choice we can make in our lives. We need to be intentional, consistent, and have patience. We cannot allow other gods, other things to be or become more important than God. That is what a serving an idol in your life is. Do not fool yourself like the cheating husband or the cheating wife. Do not fool yourself. You cannot love two things in this way. The love that God wants from us is a kind of love that is, that is just for Him. Yes, I can love my wife and love God. Those are different kinds of loves. But my love for God has to be an all-consuming love that has my heart, my spirit, my mind first. And you know what the amazing thing is? When that is in place, I can actually love my wife well. I can love my children well, the way I'm supposed to. But when, why, but when my devotion to God is divided, my worship is warped, and my heart is hardened, I cannot do that. The Bible is very clear. You cannot serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other. Don't fool yourself. What is love? Love is not what the world is telling us. Love is not feeling good and wanting to be with someone only. It's not the infatuation. It's not the lust. Love is sacrificing, laying down, giving everything. Jesus said that if you want to serve me, you need to lose your life. Then you will find it. The life in God lies in the laying down, the giving up. 1 John 4 confirms this. Love is not a feeling of in-loveness. It's a choice to lay down and give all that you are and forsake all others. All right, let's get practical. What are some modern-day examples that could be the things that are take dividing your devotion to God? Scrolling through social media so much that it consumes your life. Comparing yourself to the Joneses every time you do that, thinking that you're not good enough. That extra glass of wine or a bottle of wine because otherwise I just can't cope. That secret online chat you're having with an old high school flame or stranger that you met online. That couple of grand you held back for yourself when no one was looking. The money that you're skimming through your business. The lack of integrity that you are riding on, hoping that it'll bring you to the place that you want to be. An addiction that is slowly but surely taking over your life. Maybe it's just an, a little small cracked open door, but the enemy will use it to bring you down. Yes, Jesus loves you. And he died for you on a cross and rose from the grave and went to heaven to prepare a place for you. If you decide to give your life to him, if you lose your life to gain the life he wants to give you, there's no halfway. It's like being pregnant. You're not almost pregnant or half pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. You're either a Christian that has given your life to Christ or you're not. I find it hilarious when people talk about, yes, I was a great Christian, huh? He's a big Christian. What does that mean? Does it mean you're not? Does it mean you're a small Christian? What is that? What does a small Christian do? 
You're either in it or you're not. And this is why I have such a big passion to shine a light on cultural Christianity. Because some of us are more devoted to the church denomination that we're a part of than to God. We are more devoted to the idea that a church or a denomination or a movement has formed of God and we are worshiping that idea or that form of God, but it's not the true God. If you're in any kind of place where you say, I'm a, I'm a Christian or I believe in God, but you are judging other people for how they love God or serve God, and you think that your way is the only way and the right way, then you are divided. Your devotion is divided. You're, you're not serving the living God because His love is not in you. These are just some of the examples that we need to recognize are the things that we're seeing in this passage. Samuel ministered before the Lord and to the Lord, and when the time was right, God spoke to him. The one who is called God heard could now be the one who hears God. How beautiful is that? Our second boy's name is Simeon. It has a similar meaning to Samuel. And we are so excited about his life and knowing that he will also be able to hear the voice of God clearly. And because he positioned himself to receive the word of the Lord, he could turn the fate of a whole nation around. For generations after Joshua, the people were lost. Every man did what he thought was good in his own eyes. Remember at the end of Judges? Hophni and Phinehas were among them. But one young boy who was prayed into being was raised by God in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, ministering, positioning to receive from God, waiting patiently, hanging on, staying a little longer in His presence than it, if that's what it took. And when did God eventually speak to him? At night while he was sleeping. He was resting, and then God spoke. It was not while he was ministering and seeking God. I think that's a beautiful picture. But God saw every time, every time that he was ministering, God saw it. And he just, I, I almost have this picture of he fell in love with Samuel even more and even more and even more. And then he said, okay, today I'm going to speak to him while he's resting. I want us all to choose to position ourselves to receive from God. Now and from now on. Every day should start with us ministering before the Lord. What does that mean? It means praying, speaking to God, worshiping Him, praising Him, thanking Him. None of this is news, people. It is what the Bible calls us to do all over the place. It is the ways that we devote ourselves to Him. But even prayer, even worship can become an idol if we think that's what it's about. The same way that the Israelites thought that, hey, we just need the ark, then we're fine. I just need to sing this Bethel song or, or I need to listen to that Stephen Furtick sermon. Then I'll be fine. No. Then you are serving the wrong thing. You need to serve God and love on God. Minister before God. Keep your focus, your heart, your mind on Him and Him alone. All these other things are, yes, good tools that get us there. But it's not the point. It's not the focus. Anything else but God you're serving an idol. So let, us, let our prayer 
in our worship time and our thankfulness and our listening to God, those times, let it be, let it be pure and holy and set apart. I want us to do that right now. Baby, can you come and play something beautiful again, please? We're going we're gonna to take a moment to ask God to show us, is there anything in our lives that is still dividing our devotion, warping our worship, or hardening our hearts? Is there anything that is still there? Then I want to ask you to do these things. Recognize it. Admit it. Repent from it. Get rid of it. Admit that it's there. Recognize that it's there. Admit that it's a problem. Repent from it. Get rid of it. And then you replace it with something that's of God. That's what I want us to do right now in this moment. And I want you to remember this moment where you decided to devote your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole being to God. And if you are listening to this today, and the Holy Spirit is convicting you right now that you are maybe a cultural Christian, just a religious Christian who just grew up in a Christian home, but you've known none of these things. You don't see the power of God in your life. You don't experience those close, intimate moments of God in your life. You're just going through the motions. Or maybe you're listening to this and, and you don't know God. You're just, you're just not saved yet. Being saved means to choose to follow Jesus and to make Him Lord of your life. What does that mean? It means that you choose to let His will be done in your life, not your will. Like the Bible says at the end of Judges, not the way that you think is right, but the way that God shows you is right. Then I want to, to ask you to, I want to invite you into this beautiful family of God, that you will come and that you will, will choose today to follow Him. All right, will you do that with me? Amen. Jesus, 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 we love you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this time and your presence. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. If you want to give your life to Christ today, if you, if you realize that you need Jesus, I want you to pray this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, today I choose to follow you with my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole spirit. I choose to make you Lord of my life. I lay my will down and I choose to do your will. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for my sins. Lord, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Forgive me. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for inviting me into your house. Bless me, Lord. Strengthen me, Lord. Open up your word to me, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've, if you've been walking with the Lord for a time, and, but you realize today through this message that your devotion might be divided, your worship may be warped, and your heart may be hardened in some places, and God has shown that to you, 
I want to just give you a moment to just say a prayer and say, Lord, I've recognized this. I admit it. I repent of these things. I lay it down. I ask that you will come and do a work in my life and make me new in all these areas. Just take a moment and do that. Thank you. All right, we're going to do some communion now. I want you to uh, get the, the symbols close to you. Here we just have some juice and uh, a cracker. We're going to break them and hand them out. Whatever it is that you have doesn't matter. It, it, what matters is what it symbolizes. And what I, the reason we're doing communion today is, is first of all, we are, we are ending our fast today of seven days. And I want to thank you for doing that with us and for setting the time, and setting certain things aside so that you can focus on God. And today we're just going to ask that God bless that, that He reveals Himself to us in, 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 every, way, in every area of our lives because of this. And secondly, the communion today is to, is to just I almost want to say to, to breathe life into the salvations of today and to breathe life into the decisions of today to wholeheartedly and with full devotion follow God, okay? So please get your, your things ready. If you are with family uh, and there's a father, I would love to ask the fathers to, to hand out the bread or the crackers and the juice and to, to lead their families in this. We are the priests, the kings of the homes, and, and we need to do this. And I, I want to ask you to do that. If you are alone or just a couple of friends, that's fine. Just know that God is there with you. He is the ultimate Father, and He is ministering this to you today. And the great thing is also that if we have dealt with these things we just spoke about, we can know that we will not eat and drink judgment unto ourselves. Paul says we must be careful when we do the communion to not do that. And it means to get rid of the stuff that should not be in our lives, to forgive those who we have any issues with. So if there's anything like that yet, ask the Holy Spirit right now to reveal it to you so you can get rid of that. Forgive that person. Decide to make an appointment to fix whatever needs fixing so that you can have a communion that doesn't bring judgment on you. Amen. All right. I'm going to pray for the communion and then we're going to use it. Lord, thank you for your body that was broken and your blood that was spilt so that we can be free. Lord, because of sin, we have been divided from you. We have been separated from you. But Lord, by the blood of the Lamb, we have been reconciled with you. And these things are the sign of your body that was broken and your blood that was shed so that we can be right in right standing with you. So Lord, as we use this bread, these crackers, this juice, Lord, I pray right now that you'll bless every person that fasted and prayed this week, that you will take them from strength to strength and glory to glory in every area of their lives, that you will help them and guide them in this year to come. And I pray for every soul that was given to you today, every soul that was saved, and I pray that you'll bless them, strengthen them, and guide them. And I thank you for every person that decided today that they're going to get rid of the stuff that is dividing their devotion, that is warping their worship, 
and that is hardening their hearts and position themselves to receive from you. As we take this, Lord, we choose to position ourselves to receive from you. We want to position ourselves well and correctly so that we can receive the fullness of what it is that you have for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. I forgot to say amen. Amen. <laughs> amen, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you are with us and that you've blessed this time together. Thank you that we can gather this way. Thank you for the privilege we have to worship you. I thank you, Father, that you'll bless every family, every marriage, every home that is present, represented here today. And they will go from strength to strength and glory to glory. And that they will have an amazing rest of their uh, a week that comes and a year that is ahead. I thank you, Father, for your goodness, your grace, your mercy. And I pray that you will just keep on helping us to go deeper in our relationship with you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church message of the week. We trust that you found that encouraging, inspiring, hopefully challenging in a good way, and that you will come back next week to listen again. Please remember to like, follow, and subscribe, and to share this with other people if you find that it is uplifting, encouraging, and inspiring to you. May God bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you and your family. Bye-bye.